This is the Coast and Country podcast from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country. Now that is a lovely sight. It's early morning, it's about 8 o'clock, and I'm looking out across a lovely green pasture covered in a herd of dairy cows enjoying the morning air and the morning grass. Now the relationship, of course, between farming and landscape is well understood, but one of the key components, of course, is the work of the rural vet. Many of us will have a picture of what that involves from the likes of James Herriot and, of course, the hit TV series All Creatures Great and Small. Some would say it's a romantic view of the lifestyle that goes with rural veterinary practice. It was written many decades ago and, of course, times have changed. So for today's Open Country, I'm spending the day with a newly qualified vet, Jennifer Hall. All right, Jen, you've got your barrow. I've got my barrow. It makes it easy to... um to wheel it up and down the cows, you'll see in a minute they're all in a line and they've all got their heads caught at the feed face. We're so in this they, enormous um, cattle shed, aren't we? And all the, uh, the cows are in. Oh, I see, they're all lined up yeah, in these sort of yeah, clamps. Yeah, so they come out of milking and they, I don't know, normally they have fresh feed, so they'll go straight in and eat and then they can clamp their heads in so they can eat but they can't come out. And then we just go up the back and he has a list. And we stop at the cow we want and do whatever we need to do. And then What are we needing to do this morning? This herd is a seasonal calving herd. So most of the cows will have calved in the last couple of months. So what we're doing is we're going up and all those cows that have calved, we're checking to see if they're clean, make sure they haven't got any infections in their uterus, make sure that they will be healthy to go on and then reproduce again in the next sort of couple of months when they'll start serving again, ready for next season. Now we're joined by the herdsman. Hello, sir. Morning. So uh, how many have we got to look at this morning? 25. Altogether, the herd is 250. OK. And we're milking about altogether 230 at the moment. So we're looking around about 10% this morning just yeah, to make sure yeah. they're OK. And this goes on about once a month just to make sure that nothing slips by. Well, look, don't let us hold you up, Jen. No, we'll go for it. Mike's there with his clipboard looking intent on business. Mm. <laughs> so, number 52. Cub, 14th of February. Had right. certain twins. She's had... She had estimate on the 20th of March. Okay. And a Mexico last time was four right. ago. So we'll check she's clean. So that's, that's this, this is a cow that had a, a difficult calving. Um, she had twins. She had to have assistance. And as a result of which, she had an infection last time the vet checked. Well, Jen is wrapped up to her armpits in plastic <laughs> and gloves. I think, yeah, we know what's, it, I think we know what's coming, don't we? <laughs> How long does it take, Jen, roughly, to, to examine any one animal? Um, it depends what you're doing, but this kind of thing I mean, it doesn't really take long. If you just you basically just put your hand in, if they're clean, the longer a bit takes, you've got to sort of start putting antibiotics in there or whatever your treatment plan is. But I would say, well, 25 animals, I'd hope would be done in sort of well under an hour. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it depends. It's it's the fiddly bits that take a while. So, um, but if you were doing pregnancy diagnosis, that takes a bit longer because you've got to scan the animals. But this is quite. A, Quick routine. She's got a nice CL there. Should we just give her an estimate then and see if she feeds up? Yeah, just check her before serving. Because we're organic, we're a bit limited there, how many medicines we can use. That's interesting. Presumably, with your 250 herd here, yeah. that requires an awful lot of acres to maintain a, an organic farm. It's about 600 acres all together. Yeah. And we block carve, basically, it's 250 cows. We block carve 125 in, from three months of February to May. 
and then we start carving again in August to October, November. I mean, many people would hear this and think, actually, that it, there's no romance in this. It's a business, pure and simple. It's, it's a numbers game. That's what it is these days, isn't it? James Herriot's gone, really, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is that what you were hoping for, Jen? A bit yeah, of Herriot? Exactly the answer. I haven't primed it. <laughs> but that is a very true fact, is that this fire brigade emergency side of things is always going to be there. But what we're trying to move towards is a, is a preventative relationship. Do you think that's something that's increased over time? Yeah, because we need to work with the vets rather than the vets just telling us what to do. We're working with them, really, so that everybody gets it right for the carrot at the end of the day. I mean, as a young vet who's decided to go into large animal practice... I suppose one of the, the benefits, just looking around me here, is that you get a lot of practice, you know, pretty early on. It's a pretty steep learning curve. You're dealing with large numbers of animals on a daily basis. Yeah, it's a very steep learning curve. And, I mean, I'm eight months into practice, and I think it's probably been the biggest learning experience of my life. There's only so much uni can teach you. You can read books and you can have practical experience at university, but you can't... Nothing can prepare you for actually driving to a farm and having to deal with something without your textbook or your lecturer there and I certainly learnt how to deal with different situations and apply my knowledge fairly extensively even if you don't know the answer. Well Mike that the husband was just saying that yeah. they learn a lot from you but I imagine you're at a stage where you're learning a lot from them. I think it's a mutual relationship. Great so that one's all right. Yeah that one's fantastic. Well. Next. So this is an odd one Jen. This is a bit of a so she's she's dropped in her milk She's not got a temperature. A temperature would indicate she's got some sort of infection. Mm -hmm. um, completely normal. She's clean from the point of view of the post-carving check. She's cycling fine. So the next thing to check is check whether her guts are turning over properly and see what's going on in there. So you use the stethoscope to listen on the side of her. I suppose, Mike, in a way, this is the sort of thing you don't want, a, a, an open wound or something that's physically obvious. At least you know what to do. Yeah. In this instance, it's a real detective game, isn't it? Well, yeah, because it could be, in, you know, what they call a displaced abomasum, which means it's all slipped away, which means you have to be stitched, operated or put back because she can't eat properly. Well, that's what it's all about, because she's just sort of, like, wasted away a bit. Yes. She, she was in quite good nick. She does she's look pretty doing thin. The ping now to see if she can... She's doing a ping, doing that now, because if she can hear a ping... Jen's just flicking the side of, uh, of the cow itself while listing with the stethoscope. With her finger, just flicking it on the flanks of the animal. If she can hear a ping, there's a chance she's got an LDA. So when you went through vet school, how many of your colleagues were women and how many were men? In our year, we had about 100, just under 100, and I suppose about 20% of them were male, the rest were female. And so that's good. That's, that's a high number of men. But without putting too fine a point in it, can they cope with the, the, the manual side of it? Yeah, yeah, they can. Because if they've got a problem, there's bound to be somebody from whatever farm they are yeah. there to help. So if they want a bit of extra grunt, there's usually somebody about. Yeah. Well, grunt but, is the order of the day, isn't it? We can hear a lot of grunting going on around us. They don't really, nine times out of ten, with all the modern drugs they've got and everything else, epidurals and all that sort of caper, they can cope without us, really, just as long as we're here to point them in the right direction, which cow it actually is. <laughs> right, just going to hose off my leggings and boots. This is something that you probably wouldn't have thought about 20, 30 years ago in this profession, Jen, is it? 
no, I suppose not. I think in the in the recent years, biosecurity has become a major aspect of looking at preventative health. So I am now washing my boots to remove any of the fecal matter and anything that um, has got onto me from this farm because one of the major ways that diseases can be spread is through the faeces um, or any sort of bodily fluids that you've you know, got on you from each farm. So I have a new pair of waterproofs in every farm Do and you? I disinfect between yep. each farm. Right then, so into the van. What time is it, Jen? Uh, it's 10 to 10. Okay. I was booked in to do this from 8 till 10, so we're... On time. On time. So <laughs> I'm just going to phone back into the office okay. and check my... Um, there's nothing being put in my diary. Hi, Paula, it's Jen. Hi. Just phoning in, finished at Gents. I'm just okay, wondering if there's okay. anything else in my diary. No, that's it. Your diary is empty for now. Okay. Um, there might be a possible post-mortem later this afternoon at Crenshaw. Okay, that's um, fine. But but yeah, come on in. Well, that's brilliant. So I'm um, back for a cup of tea to the practice. Yes, I think we will. And hopefully something else will come in. But if not, then uh, it's paperwork normally. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, let's go. Okay. It's turning into a beautiful day, isn't it, actually? Yeah, for once. For once. The rain is the first time stopped. I've seen blue sky for about three weeks. <laughs> so how many miles a day or a week would you expect to cover? Um... We cover some serious miles. Um, number of calls per day is very much dependent on how far we drive. We have a farm right down in Launceston, um, which is part of a bigger group of farms. So yesterday I went down there and then I spent some time in some farms in Oakhampton. So, you know, I spent an hour in the morning in, in the van driving to that farm. Um, but what we try and do is centre your day's calls around where you're going to be if yeah. you've got a call booked in. Um, but we do spend a lot of time driving and especially on call, you know, um, we have one farm in Launceston and then we actually have a farm right down in Wiltshire, just one farm, but he uses our poultry department, so he wants to use the same um, vets for his farm. So That's, you a, could that's be a long way, Wiltshire to Exeter. It is a long way and, and sometimes with emergency work they will have to call vets that are nearer but the nature of farm practice is that people, the, the practices are covering bigger areas because the, um, the, the mixed practices with their farm departments are not necessarily able to give the farmers the preventative work they, um, they want from their vets. I mean do you, you obviously see it very much as a business, you're part of a business and you're you're a service provider to the, the agricultural business. There must, though, at some point, Jen, when you were growing up, have been a kind of romance in the idea of being a vet. Yeah, I suppose there was, in that the reason I liked being a vet was because we I, I went lambing and we had a few lambs and reared them on the bottle and I thought, oh, I quite like animals, and, and that's when I decided to sort of go down that route. But I think when you grow up in a country environment and, and your neighbours are farmers, very early on you get exposed to the good and the bad and often the ugly as well. And at the end of the day, I see my job as being um, somebody who facilitates the income of that farmer and everything I do is about making sure that their paycheck for whatever they're producing, beef, milk, lamb, is as profitable as it can be. And that's how I see my role. And I don't know if I'm different to other farm vets. I, I hope not, because I think that's how we have to see ourselves. But it's lovely in a way that you're working in a, a, a county and a region in, in which you grew up in. So not only do you know it like the back of your hand, but you also have a real empathy with the lifestyle that's going on here. 
very much so and I mean I was very very lucky in that I did a lot of my work experience with St David's Vets and as a result of that when they had a vet leave they offered me the job so I didn't really have it I think twice about what I was doing when it when it came to job applications because I knew that I wanted to be a farm vet and ideally I wanted to come back home to Devon the stress at the beginning of a, a graduate's career is often caused by having to get in your van having to find a farm having to drive roads that you've never driven before getting to know people that you've never met before and that's a, a really big thing and I'd eliminated all of that side of beginning a job because I knew mostly where I was going or at least the direction I was going and I knew the farmers and most of them recognised me. I didn't have to prove myself because I was known and accepted. Well, Jen wasn't kidding when she said it was a nice place to work. Um, I'm joined by the man who runs this practice, Tony O'Loughlin. Tony, this is quite a setup you've got here. Yeah, we're quite lucky here. It's obviously on the banks of the estuary, so it's quite nice. We moved here about uh, seven years ago. And it's sort of purpose built for our three practices. So we've got our equine practice and our farm practice here, which you've seen downstairs. And also upstairs, we've got our poultry practice. Now, you're obviously from Northern Ireland. Thank you. <laughs> but how long have you been uh, working down here in Devon for? I've been on Devon since uh, 1994. And has it changed much in that relatively short time? When I first came down here, it was very much a traditional farm practice, which was very reactive. It's uh, going out every day to see, not knowing what you're going to do, go out and see sick cows sick calves, individual animals. Now, it's more preventative medicine, it's more planned, yeah. it's more a sort of herd health work. Traditionally, vets do fertility work. We're obviously more involved in the overall farm picture of fertility, mastitis, lameness control. So it's more working with the farmer. When I started here, our practice radius was about 20 miles, and there's a lot of smaller dairy farms then. Those dairy farms have gone. Uh, they weren't big enough to survive. And what has happened is, our farms have amalgamated, or people have taken on neighbouring farms, and sizes got bigger. We also, as a practice, travel much further. So we'll now travel up to an hour, an hour and 20 minutes away to go into service clients, if you like. Our client size will range from, there's still a couple of guys with 50 cows, up to some of our clients have got well over 1,000 cows on different units. Yeah. So I think certainly the economics of the job as well dictate that size will become an issue. There is clearly now a well-defined sort of link between vets and farmers and the business elements of both sides of the equation. But... Just casting our minds back to dark days and things like foot and mouth, BSC, which you all remember well, Tony. At moments like that, I presume the relationship between a farmer and his vet goes beyond a business relationship. You're both trying to solve an unimaginable horror. I think, it, you know, obviously BSC dragged on for quite a long time, through the mid to late 90s, uh, and foot and mouth sort of over that period of 12 months, 2001, you know, a very difficult period. Uh, I mean, foot and mouth for us here, we were right on the edge of the area, but like within 20 miles of here, up towards Wilcampton. Uh, yeah, a lot of herds were getting wiped out. So it certainly made you appreciate on farm. You know, we were very nervous about going on farm, very nervous about taking disease around and mm. the risks imposed. So uh, the relationship with the farmer, yeah, you know, the relationship is the people can ring us 24-7. Our clients can ring us up and ask for advice. You know, they can express their worries to us and us to them. So it is quite a close relationship. Especially now that you can text as well and, you know, the, the nature of communication has changed. I quite often at the weekend will get a text from some of my farmers. They don't want to bother you ringing you up, but they've got a question. And yep. I don't mind, you know, texting them back on a weekend. And it, I suppose it sort of enhances the relationship a bit in that yep. way. Jenny, um, calls come in. Lady's got a sick cow. And there's also, while you're there, two castrates. 
Okay. No right, so okay. that's it. Our cup of tea is over. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Great. Thank you. See you later. See you later. Thanks, Paula. Okay, so back on the road. Yeah, back on the road. So how far are we now going to travel, Jen? <laughs> um, this is about 45 minutes away, just across Dartmoor. It's quite a rural farm, uh, so the, the animals are out on the moor. Um, I know them quite well because I did um, some work for them last summer. They tend not to have routine visits because they're beef rearers, um, but they will... Um, call us in when they've got the odd sick animal or for some pds or tb testing quite often is when we go and see all those clients who don't have routine got everything jen yeah i think so that was a bit of a hairy drive hello I'm hi there Mr. Morton. um so you've got a sick cow for us to see today yes and what's been going on she's lost an awful lot of weight back in the winter i thought she'd slipped a calf had a miscarriage right because she was showing signs of blood. But she, about three days ago, had a calf. Oh. She's desperately thin and she's scouring. Um, she's still got a good um, appetite. She's eating quite well. Okay. But she's... What do you mean by not, scouring? She's got diarrhoea. So what she's eating isn't sticking to her. And she's got possible blood when she wheezes, but it's difficult to tell when they've just carved. Right. You know? We'll go and have a look at her, give yeah. a clinical examination, then we'll decide what to do. Okay. So this is um, a very different setup to where we were earlier was intensive dairy, and this is much more extensive. These cows will run onto you, where you can see from the land. It's much rougher. It's, it's a more traditional picture, isn't it? It, is, in a way. it is a traditional picture in some ways, and you know, you're actually seeing the variation in our clients because some of our clients do still farm on, on the moors and it's really the only way to farm the moors. You can't start trying to ask cows on moors to give, you know, whatever, how many litres a day, you know, 30 litres a day. So these guys have beef and sheep and they have a mixture of the two. Calf's quite curious. Is it a, is it a he or a she? Little boy. He's a big calf, though. That's my first thing. And she's quite small. And he's a big calf, so she's obviously been giving everything she's got. What will you start with, Jen, in your um, examination? So when I do a clinical examination, every vet does it differently. I tend to start at the back and work my way forward. So I'll always take a temperature first as a starting point. A temperature is a very useful indication of whether um, the cow's got an infection or not then I'll tend to listen to the guts because very often eating and gut sounds, they're another insight into how the cow's doing. If a cow isn't eating, then that can tell you it's really not very well. Whereas if she's eating and losing weight, you wonder whether there's something else going on. And gradually as you go over it, you build up a clinical picture. And in my head, I'll be ruling out different diseases and things that I'm thinking it might be. Have you had anything like this before, Kat? On the farm. Well, we have ill cows occasionally. Yeah. But, yes, but, but not this sort this of. Thin and how old is she? She's not very old. She's only about five. Right. So she's not ancient, you know. She yeah. shouldn't be in this state. No, sure. If it was an old cow, you'd think, well, you know. Well, looking at the rest of them at the other end of the barn there, they're all beautifully covered, aren't they? Well, those are two year olds, so and one of them's a three year old, so they're, you know, bigger. Yeah. Know, they're the calves that yeah. we've got coming through. As Jen was describing earlier, this is a very different setup to what we saw earlier, which is a very intensive dairy. Uh, yes, set up. very You're... different. We're entirely the opposite end of the spectrum. We have beef cattle, Aberdeen Angus Cross beef cattle. So they're slow growing. It's very unintensive farming. Mm. We've got some sheep as well. We've got Exmoor horn sheep who are really hardy. 
and sort of strong sheep for the moor. And we have a small flock of them, but not many. We've only got 100 odd acres. I was surprised driving over here that you don't have a more local vet. Well, we do have a more local vet, but we use St David's because they specialise. Right. Often with a vet, you've got a vet who's dealing with small animals one minute, then they're rushing out to deal with a cow, then they're rushing back to deal with a guinea pig. You know, it's fine and they're very good, but sometimes you get the feeling that the cow isn't their priority. They're big, they're dangerous creatures, they don't like what you do to them quite often. She's now getting real fast and crushed, just display my point. But is it a worry for you having them 45 minutes away, let's say it's 3 o'clock in the morning and there's a crisis? Not really. Um, that sounds awful. They're animals. They often die. That's going to sound horrible on the radio. Sorry. If it's a bad carving, you should have picked it up. Well, sometimes you do pick it up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you suddenly realise it's presented wrong. You can do a lot yourself. But 45 minutes in a bad carving is not going to make much difference. Yeah. And if it's something where the animal is in deep distress, say it's, we haven't had it, but say you had an animal that had injured itself mm. horribly, mm. you just euthanise the animal. Yeah. You know, you... You, it's quicker and kinder and better you just shoot it and even if the vet was closer 15 minutes of an animal in lots of pain is not you know not worth it so you're taking you've just lifted up the cow's tail and you're taking a blood sample from the base yeah, of the it's tail, the tail that's take interesting. Okay. And I spotted earlier you were taking a, a faeces sample. Yeah. I'm a bit stuck. I don't really quite know what. There's no obvious thing wrong with the cow. So there's lots of um, diseases that can cause a sort of chronic wasting scarring. I'm also just going to have a go and see if I can um, catheterize her bladder. Um, if you could hold that pot yeah. and then if it. I mean, if there is blood, in, that will tell us if there's blood mm. coming out of the urine or not. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Bad song. Right, take it out. Mm. And then it will, yep, it's coming in. Yep, got it. Okay. It's not good, is it? No. <laughs> no. So that's almost diagnostic in itself. There's two things that can cause that. Um, there's a disease called red water, which is spread by ticks. Yeah. And there's a disease that um, is called, well, bracken poisoning that we looked up earlier. Yeah. Um, can cause that. Could be either here. We've got, you know, tick we, environment. It's can you bad treat here. for that? You can treat for that, and we'll probably do that. Red water normally comes on quite suddenly. Um, so I would wonder whether this is perhaps a chronic... She's had it for a while. Bracken, well, when we... possibly. But you can't do anything for bracken poisoning. You can't mm. treat, you just have to support them. Um, they poison themselves. Yeah, and, out, and they may not make it, but, you know, if she could rear the calf, then that would help. Um, so I think I probably will still give her the buscapan. Oh, that's, that's her, okay. isn't it? Jenny's jabbing her. Jenny's jabbing her and she's... She's trying to kick her. So. It's been a really interesting few hours, Jen. We didn't know what we were going to find today on our travels with no. you. <laughs> Similarly, I suppose, my final question has to be, is being a vet all that you hoped it would be when you set out on this path all those years ago? I think it's lived up to expectation and I think it's probably even more than that taken me on journeys that I never thought I would go on I've been so lucky to end up in the practice that I have in the area that I am where I've been given opportunities to do work that I never dreamed that 
eight months qualified, I'd be having my own herds and doing routine health work. But that's where I wanted to go with my career. And already I'm getting there and it sort of feels like the world is my oyster, I suppose. And I hope I don't lose that enthusiasm like as people do through the years. But I think that I'm... I've engaged in a part of veterinary work which is really moving forward. The farming industry is potentially going to be booming if food prices keep rising and things. And I think um, yeah, I've got lots to look forward to, but certainly so far it's, it's been fantastic and I wouldn't have changed my career for anything. And what about James Herriot? Does he still inspire you? Oh, good old James. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd probably be turning in his grave if he looked at what we were doing now. <laughs> so, yeah. Jen, well done and best of luck. Thanks very much.